You catch the article last week in the New York Times about Yale? The most popular class ever. Happiness. The most popular course in the history of the university is about happiness. As we speak, some 1,200 students, nearly one quarter of all of the undergraduates at Yale University are enrolled in the happiness course. Administrators had to scramble to find a lecture hall big enough for all those students. What gaping chasm exists in the heart of young people that so many of the best and the brightest yearn so deeply for happiness? What is missing in their lives? What are they so worried about? They are the most gifted and privileged human beings who ever walked the face of the earth. If anybody should be happy, it should be them. Most are still teenagers. Their whole lives are ahead of them. How to explain that even before their careers begin, even before the grind, the children, the mortgage, professional setbacks, financial stress, at this tender teenage time. They yearn for everlasting bliss. They pine for the elusive elixir of life that has baffled and befuddled all those who came before them. Those prized students with unparalleled potential nonetheless feel exiled from Eden? Aren't they a bit young to mourn paradise lost? Students want to change to be happier themselves, the course professor Lori Santos said. She thought that in high school, students deprioritized their happiness to gain admission to elite universities, adopting harmful life habits that have led to what she called the mental health crisis we are seeing at places like Yale. If there is a crisis, I'm not sure it is mental health. Of course, some students do have mental health challenges, perhaps more than previous generations. But I suspect that for most of those 1,200 graduates, undergraduates, it is an existential crisis. The same angst that all human beings eventually feel. But like everything today, is accelerated at warp speeds. Technically, the students are registered for a science class. Positive psychology. The scientific study of the strengths that enable individuals and communities to thrive. Positive psychology is the 
scientific study of the positive human functioning and flourishing, the scientific study of the factors contributing to a well-lived and meaningful life. I'm so pleased that science is now involved in the question of meaning. I always thought that science inquired only about what is, not what ought to be. Isn't that what scientists tell us all the time? I always thought that goodness and meaning and positive human functioning, happiness, were the domain of other disciplines, literature, philosophy, and of course, religion. You know, all those departments at Yale and other elite universities that struggle to stay open because students want to be engineers, software developers, and business graduates. To any high school students listening, your best chance at Stanford is to apply to philosophy or English literature. Then, once you get in, if you want to transfer or after you finish do an MBA at Stanford, then do an MBA. If the best and the brightest need some kind of scientific sheen over the study of ethics, morals, and goodness to encourage them to think about meaning, I'm for that. The Yale course focuses on behavioral changes. Students are required to conduct a personal self-improvement project. I'm for that. How could a rabbi not be for that? <laughs> Students might learn more about happiness in the philosophy department. The Greeks had something to say about happiness. Students might learn more about happiness in the religion department. The Jews and other religions have something to say about happiness. But you know what? If it takes the veneer of science to attract the most brilliant to think about meaning, count me in. In explaining and justifying positive psychology, Dr. Santos said that scientists didn't really realize this in the same way 10 years ago that our intuitions about what will make us happy, like winning the lottery, are totally wrong. Wow. What an earth-shattering scientific discovery. 2,000 years ago, Jewish sages taught that money doesn't make us happy. Ezehu Ashir asked the sages, who is wealthy and happy? The one who is content with what he has. Students are required to do what is described as rewirement assignments. Like in the science class, performing acts of kindness and forming social connections. Wow. 
What an earth-shattering scientific discovery. I love this rewiring. 2,700 years ago, the prophet Hosea said, I rewired them with cords of kindness and with bands of love. My heart is turned within me. My compassion is kindled. Kindle, now that's something that modern students can relate to. <laughs> Human kindness, love, compassion. If it takes a PhD at Yale to say the same thing scientifically, and it lures a quarter of all of the university's undergraduates, the future leaders of our country, the soon-to-be masters of the universe? How can I, how can anyone concerned with goodness, morality, and meaning object? I do not believe that what we mean by happiness is a function of brain wiring. When we speak of happiness, we mean a deep-seated contentment, a satisfaction, a sense of gratitude for living, purpose and meaning to our lives. Positive psychologists don't have to invent new intellectual constructs. All they need to do is look to the ancients. Utter futility, Kohelet lamented. Life is futile. What is the real value in all the gains and riches that one makes. A lover of money never has his fill of money. It is futile. He must depart just as he came. Naked he arrived, and naked he leaves. Thus, Ecclesiastes concluded, I realized that the only worthwhile thing is pleasure. Eat your bread in gladness and drink your wine in joy, he urges. Let your clothes always be clean. Enjoy happiness with the woman you love for all of the fleeting days of your life. For that alone is what you get out of life. For Ecclesiastes, pleasure is what we have in the end. Life is so difficult, so uncertain, so stressful, so tragic, and so short that the most we can get out of life is the small pleasures of life, food, drink, clean clothes, a lover. That's it. But this wasn't enough, even for Ecclesiastes. His dissatisfaction seeps through every verse of his book. Is it enough for you? Does it leave you with the same feeling as Kohelet? Hevel, futility. Is that what Yale undergraduates are sensing? It wasn't enough for Jewish tradition. Pleasure is for itself, and only itself. If life is mostly about the pursuit of pleasure, its main purpose is self-realization. Looking at ourselves in the mirror 
analyzing ourselves, improving, deepening, and enriching ourselves. Judaism believes in the self. We do not seek to sublimate our ego. Jewish sages felt that there is no such thing as an unadulterated altruism. We start with ourselves. If we are not for ourselves, no one will be for us, teach the sages. <clears throat> Along with Kohelet, the rabbis felt that life should be enjoyed. They urged us to embrace all of life's pleasures that we have legitimately earned. Jews are not attracted to poverty. We do not take oaths of poverty. There is nothing inherently noble in poverty. A poor person is not necessarily honorable, and an honorable person is not necessarily poor. For the most part, Judaism considered poverty to be pointless suffering. Poverty leads to death, according to the Talmud. It is impossible to focus on higher thoughts when we are hungry, thirsty, homeless, or in pain. Maimonides clarifies that the well-being of the soul is achieved only after the well-being of the body is secured. But our tradition also emphasized goodness. The rabbis considered goodness to be a higher calling than pleasure. Being good would make us happier than being wealthy, as long as we had enough to ward off poverty. Goodness never desires itself. Its aim is the non-ego, someone else. Here is the question that has bedeviled humankind since the first moment of self-awareness. Is it our purpose to make the world richer, more desirable, more appealing, more fascinating, more pleasurable, filled with ever more brilliance, technology, and scientific wonders? Or do we aspire to be good, to take others by the hand and to serve them and to be of use to others? If we think that the purpose of life, happiness, is self-realization, the pursuit of the self, the pursuit of beauty, the pursuit of power, the pursuit of happiness will come at a cost. It's the cost that Yale undergraduates already sense without the ability to articulate it. Our form may prosper, but our soul will wither. The body may be happy, but the spirit will be miserable. We will become existentially anxious. Along with Ecclesiastes, we will ask ourselves, is this all there is in life? Is happiness primarily about the self or about others. That is the Grand Canyon, the rift of human pondering. In Oscar Wilde's The Picture of Dorian Gray, Lord Henry says to Dorian, the aim of life is self-development, to realize one na one's nature perfectly. And it is what each of us is here for. 
People have forgotten that the highest of all duties, a duty that one owes to oneself. They're charitable, they feed the hungry and clothe the beggar, but their own souls starve and are naked. It's precisely the opposite of Judaism. Oscar Wilde, too, rejected Dorian Gray's approach. If you remember the story, Dorian Gray eventually self-destructed. His body remained beautiful, his soul became ugly. We cannot endure attractive on the outside, but ugly on the inside. Beautiful in body, but deformed in spirit. Yes, we must nourish the body. We must cultivate the best of ourselves, exercising the full use of our powers along the lines of excellence. But to be truly happy, the soul must be nourished. And the soul needs to free itself from itself. The human spirit needs others. It responds to and is strengthened by goodness, kindness, social connections, family, friends, precisely what the Yale Positive Psychology course emphasizes. And precisely the rewiring that the Hebrew prophets emphasized nearly 3,000 years ago. Human beings are spiritual beings, and only the life of the Spirit can give us true happiness. As we chant in every Kabbalat Shabbat from the book of Psalms, Or zarua la tzaddik, lev simcha, Light is sown for the righteous, and those whose hearts are upright, they shall find happiness. When I shared with someone that I intended to speak about happiness, their response was, happiness is when the sermon is over. <laughs> Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>